Are you ready to learn? Because my super experienced guests are ready to share some really valuable information. Make sure and listen all the way to the end to get help and support. So let's start with the best audio experience. Hello, guys. Welcome, welcome. Welcome to our show. Good people, welcome. By the way, I don't want to discriminate bad people. Welcome to our show as well. Anyone who want to learn more about uh, privacy, data, uh, disruptions. So welcome. I'm so excited to discuss this topic with Quimby Malton. How are you? I'm great, Anatoly. I really appreciate you having me uh, having on to, to discuss these important topics. Yeah, yeah. Big pleasure. I check out your profile. You have extended experience. Sorry for my pronunciation uh, of your name. You know, <laughs> I'm Ukrainian. For me, it's hard to pronounce no names. I, I, I can practice uh, for some time, but anyway, the results <laughs> are the same. But, you know, for me, it's more important to get value. So, uh the fuel of any our uh uh movements are value so before we start just tell more about yourself experience background and why you decided to share with us about this topic got it i i think that this is a really important moment for marketers um and historically i i worked as a marketer um before confection i ran an agency for for many years with uh with the person who became my co-founder uh, at confection and as a result of that work, you know, we understood how difficult it can be to operate as a marketer and how much you rely on uh, signal quality to, for accurate reporting to make decisions internally in terms of like what you want to do with your with your uh, marketing spending, but also your customer support, you know, the information you send out to help your, your clients make better decisions about their marketing spending. So really that frontline experience uh, with, with marketing really taught me to respect and privilege uh, data quality. As we move forward in time, and uh, a lot of the assets that we took for granted in digital marketing, um, this would include certainly third-party cookies, but also cross-domain scripts, uh, even more importantly. As those begin failing in a privacy-first world, it really puts a lot of downward pressure on signal quality. Um, and as a result, it makes our, our jobs harder to do as marketers. So I would say from a mission standpoint, that's really what we're all about, is helping uh, mo most of our customers are small business uh customers, helping them make better decisions about their marketing spending, helping them have more effective campaigns and drop better results from the money they spend. So for us, that's our primary focus. Mm -hmm. Nice, nice. Um, once I had a problem, uh, a big issue with uh, even two times, you know, uh, uh, my websites were broken. You know, uh, in the first time, I didn't have experience with that. So I lost the project. I lost the entire business because uh, of this um, uh, security issue, uh, because hackers, uh, uh, you know, they uh, broke my website in the best selling season in Ukraine. So oh, wow. I, yeah, I quit my project because I didn't know how to decide. Uh, we have a big store. We couldn't sell it after uh, holiday. Uh, days uh, nobody needs <laughs> needed our products so right. the second time uh i had the same issue uh and um, yeah we recovered like for six months we did it but we lost a lot of revenue money resources just to figure out and i found uh that many companies uh, have the same issue they uh, you know they don't prepare to possible things that might happen, they usually treat them and it costs a lot more. Now, for me, uh, I lost my business, uh, one of my businesses. Uh, the second time I lost a lot of revenue, but treatment costs significantly less, like a thousand times less. So can you tell uh, 
uh, how to prepare uh, businesses, projects today before uh, terrible things happen? Right. Uh, and I think that's kind of the question. And I think the nature of what it means to be a marketer is going to change pretty substantially over the next five to 10 years. I think as marketers, we tend to be used to, to renting access to technology systems. That would be, just think about an analytics platform, for example. You, know, you, you pay to rent access to, to a tool that generates data for you. And you also pay to rent access to audiences. So if you want to run an ad, you're essentially paying rent to, to Facebook, for example, to run an ad to their audience. And I think things are going to be changing in big ways. I think we're going to move from renters to owners. And what that means is we have to build a lot more than we're used to building. So I kind of see the marketing stack of the future as a blend of, of off-the-shelf elements, right? Maybe an analytics dashboard a reporting system. But then you're responsible for your own primary data ingestion, right? And this is already happening with certain server-side technologies and, and other kinds of fixes. But I think we're going to gradually move away from being renters of tools and renters of audiences to owners of the same. And that's going to involve a lot more building and a lot more um, uh, a lot more proactive decision-making about what our stacks look like and what they contain. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, on uh, your LinkedIn profile, uh, I mean company uh, uh, confection, uh, I found uh, the message marketing enablement solutions. Can you tell more about that? What kind of solutions companies can get by taking your services? What kind of unique selling proposition you have compared to other solutions that we have online? That's a great question. I would say, uh, you know, in terms of marketing enablement, you know, I think the key question there is what do you need to facilitate basic marketing activities, right? And that would mean, you know, showing ads to the right people, getting information that allows you to make good decisions about what, what happened when you showed an ad, for example, or ran an email campaign or any number of outbound or even inbound strategies. So enabling enablement for us is the idea of facilitating active, meaningful, value-adding high ROI marketing activities, right? That's our, our core, core goal at the high level. Drilling down a little bit specifically, the idea, the other pitch that we make is, you know, taking control of your atomic level uh, digital marketing data. So taking control of your foundational digital marketing data, this would be things like page views, button clicks, and other kinds of session intelligence about what happens on your site or in your web app that you can then use to make better decisions. So at a high level facilitating marketing activity, that's the enablement portion. And then taking control of your primary foundational data sets, which, again, traditionally was handled by, by a, a second party or a third party even. So um, mm -hmm. for us, it's about empowerment, uh, enablement, and taking control of things that, that traditionally, if you relied on other people to, to do for you. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's talk about collecting this data. It's interesting, you know, uh, many years ago, like 12 years ago, I started all uh, marketing campaigns without any experience. Uh, I set up Google ads, Facebook ads uh, myself without considering buying persona. And that worked yep. because competition was low. Uh, I paid like 5, 10 cents per click. No, not a lot. Uh, and good sales. Today, I can't use the same approach because huh. uh, I need to pay like $5, $10 per click, 100 times more because of competition. Yeah, competitors, we have a lot of competition. And today, it's not like to invest a dollar to get $2 back. Yes. Because sometimes we need to retain customers longer to get this $2 back. 
That's right. Customers need to bring more customers uh, to recommend our services because of quality. So, yeah, it takes time to get two dollars. But can you tell about collecting the right data to, uh, before setting uh, a buying persona? So, Anatoly, I think this is, a, this is a really great example. And it's something that comes up in our customer conversations and our sales calls as well. This idea of what worked in the past no longer works now. Um, and there was a kind of set it and forget it. Uh, mentality. I think even up in you know three four years ago, in terms of if you launched a uh, let's just say a simple uh, consumer goods brand, right? You would set up your Shopify store. You could go to Facebook, set up an audience, and, and and there was a nice margin between what you spent on Facebook and what you generated in retail. Over time, it's exactly what you're saying, where the that margin has diminished, and now the it's really razor thin. So the the question is, how do you get some of that back? And I think a lot of it is intel. Like if you generate your own information, you can make your own decisions. You can even write your own information back into a retargeting campaign to improve performance on Google or Facebook or other types of ad platforms. That's your new winning strategy, right? It's the use of better signal quality, better session intelligence to do the work uh, of, uh, of uh, things like pixels that can no longer really facilitate that, uh, that exchange of information. Now you're doing that for them. So you begin to increase that margin through better signal quality and taking control of the data that you that you generate. Um, so I think that's a really key point. I think it's really relatable. And I'll just say again, and it's only most of the people we talk with have some version of that pain point about the efficacy of ads uh, diminishing over time and big questions about what do we do going forward. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, uh, let me uh, quote something from your uh, about section. Uh, your app routinely delivers 20, 30 more attribution data and 30, 40% uh, more session intelligence uh, to critical uh, endpoints like CRMs, analytics tools, and campaigns. Can you tell about this number? Uh, uh, how your app can help to get these numbers to increase results? Great. So let's just briefly talk about um, technology disruptions. Okay. So are you familiar? Are you familiar with a browser called Brave, Anatoly? No, no. Okay. So Brave is a very, it's a, it's a convenient example because it kind of represents, a, you know, a vision of the future, like what, what's coming down the pipe. Mm -hmm. So it's a privacy focused browser, but through plugins and other technologies, just about any browser can be made to work with it. It disables a lot of core digital marketing assets by default. So third party cookies are out cross-domain scripts, which again, for us is the key issue here is really uh, being able to send information from one site to another resource. That's the critical factor. And when a site can't do that because it's being, it's analytic scripts being blocked, for example, in Brave, what happens is all kinds of page view events go missing. Um, and when you can't get a page view event, you also wind up missing acquisition, Intel, and all sorts of other uh, downstream uh, um, information. Mm -hmm. So that's why we see those big data gaps when we run pilots and customer engagements is, you know, we'll compare essentially a native version of Google Analytics or Matomo with a convection enabled version of the same property. And we didn't tend to see those big, those big improvements, right? The kind of the delta between what's lost and what's gained gets bigger and bigger over time. And the reason for that is uh, traditional analytics scripts are being blocked. And so page view events can't fire. So that's why we see those big gaps. And there's really amazing moments, you know, when we go back in the pilot and we compare the two properties, you know, it, it, you know, we do several of those every week and I'm still excited by that. And I'm still, uh, you know, really amazed at what is lost and what's recovered. And our customers um, feel exactly the same way where 
when they get that data back um, and they can begin to take control of that information and get better signal quality, it's a, it's a trans, transformative moment for them. And uh, it's really one of the things that get me, gets me up every day is helping marketers do a better job with their information. Mm -hmm. Yeah, awesome, awesome, valuable. Okay, let's talk about how to make uh, effective paid ads. You know, paid marketing costs a lot. And, you know, uh, as we discussed a little bit, but can you tell uh, some tips how to improve the results with paid ads according to your experience? Absolutely. Um, I've got a, I have a tool. It's a free tool. It's a, it's a spreadsheet that I'd be happy to share with the audience. I'm not sure yeah, if there's sure. a place for links. I'll, I'll, I'll give it to you offline. I would say at a high level, this is kind of more of a marketing discussion than a, than a confection discussion, but it's one I love having. So a lot of times when I talk to young entrepreneurs or just friends, right, and we're trying to drill down on effective paid ads, on the one hand, it's about audience modeling, right, effective audience modeling and not showing ads to people that are, you know, irrelevant for the campaign. That's the easy part. The other part is tracking metrics all the way down your funnel, right? So you begin to track, you know, engagement rates at the top, right? Conversion rates down at the bottom and then ROI at the bottom in terms of I ran this paid ad, did I get a customer conversion? So I have a tool again, it's, a, it's just a Google spreadsheet. I'll share it with you after the show and you can make it available as you see fit. And I think if people uh, use that- share on private chat. Yeah, private you can share on okay. private chat. Yeah, I'll share it with the audience, yeah. Great. So this tool will help and it essentially allows you to break down different elements of your campaign and make really effective targeted decisions about, about performance and how things are working. And it'll also identify weak points along, along the way. So I think a tool like that is really helpful, just kind of relentless measuring, relentless analysis, and then translating that into the uh, into the audience modeling that you're using on your on your campaign. Mm -hmm. Nice, nice guys. You can find the link to this tool in the description below. Uh, whatever uh, you uh, platform use, uh, Apple, Spotify, Google. So you can find the link. Okay. Uh, uh, let's talk about buying persona. For example. Uh, I, I know I see when companies are using the average data, for example, they open SEMrush, iCrafts, many other well-known tools, uh, Uber Suggest, uh, Moz, uh, Majestic, but uh, they analyze competitors and do the same. Uh, so uh, sometimes it's not a good idea, even not sometimes, even always not a good idea because uh, all companies have their unique selling proposition. Uh, buying persona, even if two companies can sell the same products, uh, buyers, um, uh, you know, uh, they have different uh, buying persona. Any insights how to consider data that you get uh, and convert to uh, paid ads, you know, because uh, I see when you now people use uh, in their own way. They just uh, check out competitors, replicate, rewrite, uh, change a little bit and set up. But it doesn't work good. Right. Any insights about that, about creativity? Yeah. No, I, I think that's great. And let's talk about just kind of method, right? Like a method that I use quite a bit that I think is really effective. So I, th I think you're right. You start with a persona, your best guess, or let's call it like a persona hypothesis, right? And that can involve things like you know, demographic information, like where people live, age, interest group. You would build some kind of creative you think would apply to that. And then you're ready to set sail. What I generally would do in that situation is I would take my best guess on the hypothesis that I have. And I would spend a little bit, like I might spend $100 in a week to check performance. Then I would translate that performance into this doc that you were nice enough to share. Thank you so much. Anyone who clicks that, you'll be able to make a copy and use it for your own purposes. 
Mm-hmm. So I translate the performance data into that. And I would ask my question, you know, am I happy with what I see here? Am I aligning with, with the benchmarks that we have in the campaign? If the answer is, is no, then I would go back and fine tune some elements, right? I would fine tune maybe my creative. Uh, I would certainly f- fine tune my audience model within the platform. As I begin to see positive trends, right? More and more things. And again, in the spreadsheet, begin to turn green. I become happier and happier. And then I throttle up spending. So I maybe go from spending 10 bucks a day to 15 to 20. And I'm gradually increasing spending as my knowledge increases and as my performance uh, aligns with these best practice standards that you'll find in the spreadsheet. And that tends to have really positive effects both on ROI and also not on wasteful spending. Because unfortunately, what I see is I see a lot of marketing teams go out with, with what is a hypothesis, but they think it's fully baked. They spend too much, you know, and they learn their lessons in a very expensive way. And then, you know, their ad budget's exhausted in a matter of weeks. So to sum this up, what I like to do is, is spend a little, learn a lot really fast, plug that information in the spreadsheet, look for positive trends. And when you see positive trends, then you accelerate spending. So that's in, just in terms of marketing method. It's something that I use all the time, both in my consulting work and for confection, and it works very well. Nice, nice. <laughs> I, I like how you shared that uh, you can learn lessons expensive or cheaper yes. because in the end you need to pay it depends on the amount yeah a lot or uh, less <laughs> because you know uh, you remind me of Shaquille O'Neal uh, someone asked him uh, what he thinks about failure and he told you know uh, if he starts something new he always uh, fail always always uh, you can't avoid failure but Uh, you can learn from your failures and it's part of education. It's That's the right. same like to read book, uh, to, uh, to get a new checklist. You can, you need to fail to learn uh, right. how to adapt and change. So, and you mentioned that uh, it depends how much money you can pay, you know. <laughs> That's right. And, you're, you're, no, you're exactly right. And so I think, and, you know, failure or, you know, not immediate success is a feature of the process, right? It's not a bug. And so you can make that work for you again by spending a little to learn a lot. And then once you've learned yeah. your lessons, then spending more. And uh, again, your bottom funnel conversion rates will, will, will follow along with that. So I think sports is a great metaphor for that because I think the connection point there is if you want to be a great basketball player, you want to be a championship weightlifter, it's about process, right? And you hit the gym every day or, you know, you're in there practicing, right? And over time uh, you improve. And the way that relates to marketing is, You need more shots on goal, right? Like you need to test creative. You need to test audience models and so on and so forth. And just doing that in an inexpensive uh, way uh, that then you can translate those lessons, those lessons learned into more spending down the road. But uh, I think yeah. sports is a good metaphor for it. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't agree more because, you know, I see when students uh, overlearn, you know, and do nothing. Uh, I don't know how you can get results with doing nothing because it's not about uh, learning. No, once someone asked me, if I listen all your podcast episodes, can uh, I become an expert? I replied, no, you can't. You can't because it's not about uh, knowing anything. It's more about practicing, implementation, choose uh, right episodes, uh, learn from them, find ideas and start implementation. <laughs> so uh, I can read a hundred books how to play soccer. But uh, I never can compete with uh, Cristiano Ronaldo or Lionel Messi because they prefer to hit a ball 10,000 times a day than uh, to read new, uh, a new book how to play soccer. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, I agree. You know, I opened your uh, uh, tool and I found uh, 
sales funnel. Can you tell more about creating sales funnel? Let me explain why I'm asking about that because once uh, I had the conversation with website owner and he told me that he lost uh, 400,000 traffic a month, a lot. Uh -huh. But but he but he didn't lose any sales. <laughs> so he got uh, a lot of traffic that didn't convert. Uh, okay. to, yeah. Okay. So any insights about creating the right sales funnel? Because it's not like, for example, even if I rank, uh, let's imagine, I don't know, the topic weight loss. Yeah. Okay. I have uh, weight loss uh, in the top 10 uh, results, but it doesn't mean that I can sell weight loss supplements. Because right. uh, uh, I need to compete with Wikipedia to get these keywords, but I can't sell my products. Any insights about creating the right sales funnel? Uh, so I think what you outlined is a very common problem. And it's something I see, again, a lot in my consulting world. I, I, for the record, I love shop talk like this. Like this is some of my favorite stuff to talk about. So I see that a lot. People thinking, equating traffic with the success, right? And not paying attention to the downstream or the down funnel effects of that traffic. So, for example, we just, and this, this is somewhat confection related. We helped a, a new customer uh, was spending a bunch at the top, getting lots of traffic, but not sure how that was translating into, in this case, it was a form submission, right? So that's just one layer down in terms of I get traffic here at the top, lots of awareness. What kind of action are people taking, right? And through that, you know, he was able to make decisions about which channel are actually not just bringing traffic, right? These big top level metrics, but which is this is the right traffic, right? And you can concentrate on that. Yeah. So I would say at a higher level, what I would say is, uh, make sure that the traffic is turning into something meaningful, right? And if an agency is just presenting you with the top level metrics about the amount of traffic they're sending to your site, that's a negative signal, right? And really what you want to do is ask next level questions about, great, what's that traffic doing when it gets to the site, right? For example, if we just think about it into a B2B context, lots of traffic leads to form conversions and lead opportunities, right? At that point, you can start asking questions about, okay, are these people qualified? Are they converting into customers, right? Is my sales team happy with what's coming in? And then, um, you know, the next step obviously is looking for positive uh, customer conversions. But I think the key here is thinking about marketing and sales as a holistic funnel process and not necessarily just segmenting out the pieces of the funnel that you maybe want to specialize on or that make you look good, but always driving yourself to answer hard questions about what's next, right? When traffic comes in, what do I want it to do next? Is it doing that? Are those people becoming customers and taking other meaningful actions and so on and so forth? So thinking holistically about your funnel and always driving those next steps. That's really how you drive big results in a, a, for, for a marketing campaign. Mm -hmm. Yeah, nice, nice, valuable. Okay, uh, you know, in the end of uh, the first page of your tool, um, uh, intro, I mean, like in the first step, I see for every one dollar spent on marketing you are making four dollars can you tell more how to get four times more uh by investing a dollar right so this uh this tool uh which you know again i hope people find it useful uh it uses some benchmark metrics this would have been a business before confection called go convert which is essentially a funnel uh a pipeline intelligence tool uh, this is basically go convert in spreadsheet form since we retired that to focus on confection. But uh, we had some benchmarks. We went out and did a lot of research, quarterly research on saying, you know, what is a good CPM, right? What is a good CTR? Because a lot of times clients in my agency days would ask me, it's like, that's, you know, thank you for that CTR. Is that good? And I had no means of answering, yes, it is good or no, it's not. 
So the, the, the benchmark that you're describing here is in terms of like, if we spend a dollar on marketing, we want to get three bucks back in revenue, right? That's kind of our ideal or three or $4. That's our ideal. So the spreadsheet will help you with that track that. Now, as far as how do we do that? You know, I think it's a two-step process. It's basically what we described earlier, where you start with your best guess on your persona model. You spend a little bit to learn, learn, learn. As you begin to see positive trends in terms of engagement, appropriate leads coming in and customer conversions, once you begin to accelerate spending into those positive trends, that's when you see big ROI, right? And you start to see negative ROI, you know, when you don't follow that, that discipline or that method. So I think the key question is, is, is learn a lot quickly and inexpensively, translate those learnings into, uh, into your campaigns. And you will see larger ROIs at the bottom of your of your funnel. Um, and I guess I should be a little bit specific on that. The learnings that you get allow you to fine tune the audience model you're using in your ads, right? So it may be that you're advertising to men and women, but 80% of your traffic is women, right? In that case, you would want to just cut your spending on males, right? Focus exclusively on females. There may be other kinds of signals that you see as well. Um, but I would say removing the key is removing waste from the top of the funnel. That will translate directly into big ROI gains at the bottom. Yeah, yeah, agree. Uh, you know, in marketing, um, I, I like this quote: "If you sell to anyone, you sell to no one." <laughs> Funny, <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. that's right. <laughs> yeah, we need to find our fine persona and uh, to satisfy interest, uh, uh, to analyze them. I interesting, you know. Once I decided to use the same data about my customers, I took uh, data from my website and uh, for uh, you know for the sake of setting uh, marketing campaigns on YouTube, and I failed because you know people are different on my website and my YouTube. On YouTube, people want to learn more about digital marketing, about SEO. On my website. They uh, spend time by ordering services or any other things mm -hmm. by using tools. So you can't use the same data. Uh, uh, it's better to adapt, you know, uh, because people are the same, but mindset different now. So 100%. To, to and they life. translate those mindsets in different channels. So for so you're 100% right on YouTube. They're not in a buying mode, right? They're in a learning mode. I would say, you know, LinkedIn is another good example where in my experience, people really hate being sold to on LinkedIn, right? They want to learn things. They want to have conversations. But then, you know, email channel is a better sales channel, right? An ad, an ad could be a better sales channel. So you're, I think you're 100% right on that, that both channel alignment and like what people do on a particular channel counts for a lot. And then also audience alignment, who are you trying to reach? But I think that's good advice. And, and the experience that you had on YouTube does not surprise me. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. And in that case, yeah. you wouldn't want to spend a lot unless you were just trying to do something about awareness or maybe just trying to get more audience members for your podcast or something like that. But uh, yeah, that doesn't surprise me. And I think discovering what every channel, what every channel does best is also really, really important for uh, for that top of the funnel performance that we've been talking about. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and um, I, I often see when companies, you know, they share tasks uh, for some managers, please uh, share content on all social media and they uh, share the same piece of content but you know I, and i did it um, in 2020 i decided to grow my facebook linkedin twitter instagram tiktok name them all social media and uh, my best results were like five ten followers a day then i changed my approaches to linkedin uh, and oh. i got like 500 followers 100 000 views because of uh, focusing 
now uh, and i got it even to repurpose content you can't repurpose uh to get the same results even if you have on one social media you need to adapt to different uh preferences audience to understand them so yeah it's that, better to analyze that's such a great example and it's only working back from the results right and again in my consulting work like like people will like we'll have a marketing meeting and people are like well maybe we should be on channel x and like you said tiktok because everyone knows tiktok and i think that's a, a problem that's unique to marketers is almost like there's there's too many options right and people think if i flood all the different options i will get some kind of successful result when your example is actually i think the correct one where you might try a couple of different channels but don't be afraid to shut ones down or at least you know not spend on a channel that isn't working and then to double and triple down on the channels that are working so the idea that you know TikTok didn't do very much for you but linkedin did a lot for you you know working back from the results is 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 really uh i mean that's the way to go yeah for sure mm -hmm. yeah yeah uh okay let's talk about common mistakes can you list mistakes that companies still do and how to find a much better way um from a sales and marketing perspective yeah yeah um so the the highest level one i have is this idea of thinking in terms of a full funnel approach right and again this is kind of more of my consulting work these are businesses that are very successful and do quite well but their marketing teams and sales teams don't always uh, uh gel right they don't always communicate effectively uh, they kind of see each other with mutual suspicion, right? So a lot of times what I do is I try to go in and I break that down. And what I try to do is I try to make the sales team dependent on marketing for the leads, right? And I try to make the marketing team dependent on sales for the intel, right? Because you can kind of think of it like an army where, you know, your sales is always going to be your frontline intel, right? And you've got to have that information coming back to the, to the base camp to make good decisions. So I try to get the flow running like that. Again, you know, making the sales team trust marketing to give leads, right? So they can focus on that. And then making the sale marketing team listen to sales about what what the results are from messaging, from meetings and things like that. And uh, it's it's a simple model, but it's really hard because people are very hard. Um, but that's the one thing I see is a disconnect between sales and marketing. And if you fix that, really wonderful things happen. So yeah, than thinking in terms of holistic funnels uh, is very, very important. Nice. Uh, a big disconnect because in many companies, uh sales people uh, don't communicate with marketers right, right. and uh, yeah i found uh, some studies that uh, i don't remember exactly the number like uh, almost 50 percent of sales people distrust marketers right. and even ceos of companies distrust marketers can you tell how to improve this relationship between sales people and marketers it's tricky one, one time someone i worked with had a great line he said that marketing is about talking and sales is about listening and I think if you understand how each of them works, how true that is, because a great sales call is filled with questions and listening to answers, right? And so they're almost mirror images of one another. Um, I would say the key ways I, I break it down, uh, break down those divisions, in addition to what I just said, in terms of making sales trust marketing uh, and be dependent on the leads and making uh, marketing listen to sales. Other ways is is informing how each one perceives the other, right? And how they communicate about their particular discipline. So let me give you, it's kind of a silly example, but years ago I heard, heard an interview with Quentin Tarantino, the director, right? And he said what made him a better director was taking acting lessons, right? So understanding what actors do. And I think it's important to have salespeople do some marketing so they understand that side of thing and having sales marketing people uh, do some sales activities so they understand that. And that really helps each camp 
inform each other about the nature of the discipline. And uh, that really breaks down silos pretty well, uh, also using kind of the, the Tarantino model of, uh, of cross-pollinating knowledge between the two different kinds of, uh, of professional disciplines. So that, that helps a lot. You know, I never thought about this tip. It's the first time. Yeah, it's an awesome tip. Because, you know, when I start something new in my company, I always try myself how I can do it. I can analyze to measure uh, about my time, creativity, how to change, how to adapt. But, uh, yeah, it's interesting. You can ask salespeople <laughs> to become marketers for some time and uh, vice versa. And why not? Yeah, interesting. And a lot of this is B2B focused, and it's only because that's that's kind of my native space. But in a B2C context, uh, you know, you could hold customer interviews if you wanted to. Like if you're running marketing campaigns, and this is something I'm working on now with one of our one of my consulting clients is why are so many people abandoning their carts? You know, like what's happening there? And so in that situation, it's the same model in terms of intelligence gathering. It just comes from your customers instead of from your from your sales team, right? So that's kind of the B2C version of this. but the main idea is making that frontline intel flow back either from your customers or from your sales team and having it land, you know, with the marketing team and actually having them do something with it, you know, instead of just discounting it, which is something I see a lot as a c- contempt is probably too strong of a word. But the suspicion that you outline, right? I mean, there is a certain, certain amount of mutual suspicion between the two camps, which is very, very peculiar when you think about it, because they're all part of the same system. So. On the hard edge side, you know, some of the technical things we've talked about, but there's also a human kind of EQ quality to this as well, where we want to make sure that people are communicating effectively at different levels of, of, of the funnel participation. So um, that's the main thing. Nice, nice. Okay, I have the question about AI. Can you tell uh, about AI? Marketers can trust AI data or not? Uh, because, you know, we have many AI tools today. Uh, and uh, I think, you know, that was simple to ignore AI. Yesterday, hard. Today, an impossible tomorrow because today AI is growing. Uh, we can see about ChatGPT, many other tools that we have online. And um, I use AI tools for one of my clients. We convert data, numbers to a more suitable user-friendly format to our audience, customers. And uh, any insights about AI? Is it a good idea to use it or not? Any? <laughs> yeah. So this is a question I've been wrestling with recently too. Um, is what what is and, and to be clear, you're not know, kind of self-identify as a as a marketer, right? So I'll kind of answer this question from a marketing perspective rather than a than a sales perspective. But you know, in a world where you can find all the leads that you want using a tool like Apollo, right? In a world where you can create message, you know, copy very quickly with something like ChatGPT, right? What is marketing's role in this world? Because I think we can agree that things have definitely changed in the last 12 to 18 months with the presence of these tools. The thing I come back to time and time again is that marketing's job in this reality is messaging, right? Creating effective messaging and effective persona models that can be plugged into these tools, right? And then used to some kind of meaningful outcome. So it's interesting where marketing's kind of come full circle, where if we don't have to worry about lead generation because leads are relatively easy to find, um, and we don't have to worry about cop, uh, uh, copy, like content creation. You know, we fall back on messaging and fine-tuning messaging, learning things, and uh, and building a good persona and audience models. So, going forward, I think that's probably what marketers need to do more of: is uh, you know, gather actionable insights, right? Fine-tune messaging, 
uh, fine-tuned audience models and then plug that intel into these systems we're talking about, whether it's a true AI system or, you know, a lead repository like Apollo or Seamless or, or Fetch. Mm -hmm. Yeah, nice, nice. Uh, I have the question about, uh, you know, I have some students in my network. Uh, they're looking for uh, jobs. Someone of them are looking uh, to uh, get the right knowledge. Uh, let's imagine you start yep. from scratch without any experience, knowledge, skills, completely from scratch. What will you do today to learn more about privacy data? Um, from a student perspective, <clears throat> uh, that's a good question. I would say uh, uh, to, to, to specifically learn about um, you know privacy uh, protocols and uh, the importance of first-party data, things like that. Like the, the, the question being, how does a young person learn how to to harvest and use data in a in a way that's compliant with with privacy mandates? Is that right? Is that yeah, the question? Yeah. Okay. I would, you know, <clears throat> that answer is quite easy. I would say just read a lot, um, you know, and just as much information as you can build your own philosophy too. So let me give you an example. There are people out there, are different schools of thought on this. And there are people out there who would say, you own your data, it's yours, right? And when someone uses it without your permission, that's wrong. You know, my own personal philosophy and what we build confection around is that data is a kind of social utility, right? So essentially data is like air and water, right? These are things that need to be regulated. Language, code, these would be other things that are essentially everyone uses them and influences them, but no one owns them, right? And the way that you deal with kind of community assets like that is you have adequate regulation, right? And you give up some kind of personal ownership of these things, which are sort of impossible to control anyway. So I would say learn all you can, come up with your own personal cornerstone philosophy on what you think data is and how it operates in society. Um, and once you've done that, uh, realize there are going to be people who disagree with you, but march forward anyway and uh, just follow the, uh, uh, the, the internal uh, philosophy that you built uh, on yourself. And I would say I don't think that this has been settled on a social level yet. I think we're still in a, the midst of a very hot debate about this. But again, my own feeling is just based on the nature of things like language and code and air and water. I think data will come down uh, as a uh, as a social utility rather than something we own like a car or something we own like a house. Mm -hmm. Yeah, nice, nice. Okay, I have the final question about the future. Can you predict the future? Uh, in Wouldn't that be future? great? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, even if it's not accurate, Nobody can predict the future. And uh, for example, I failed many times predicting uh, the stock price. <laughs> no, I lost some money with investments, but you know, yeah, it's part of the game. Uh, so uh, your uh, prediction about the future in marketing and privacy data as well. You got it. Um, I would say, and this really is kind of in my capacity at Confection, I would say expect things to break more, more often. Uh, in terms of data ingestion, in terms of signal quality, um, expect that quality will continue to go down and that you will have question marks on top of your head wondering why is this happening? Um, I definitely see that playing out over the next you know, 12 to 18 months and then on into the future. And expect that you're going to need to build more, right, and rent less. Um, and I would say even beyond just using, you know, confection specifically, just expect that you're going to have to carry more of the weight of, of your data generation and making more proactive decisions about, what you do with that information, where you send it, where it's meaningful to you. And ultimately that may hurt a little bit, right? But ultimately in the long term, you're going to be much more empowered as a marketer and you're going to be in a much better position to make really great judgment calls about what you want to do with the information. And you're going to operate more independently. 
So that's really what I see is, is accelerating um, uh, disruptions in terms of data quality and marketers kind of taking on the mantle as builders rather than renters. And that's what I expect to see in the next 12 to 18 months. Nice, nice. Uh, guys, uh, it's a great tip. You need to adapt to the future, <laughs> learn uh, a lot more and practice, implement, because without practice, you can't achieve any results. So it's a big pleasure to get on my show, to learn from you. You share a lot of valuable insights. Tell our audience the best way how to reach out to you, how to learn more about you, how to follow you. Um, I, I, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. That's very easy. Uh, I, my email too, you can have that. Let me post this in the chat. Mm-hmm. That's kind of my core uh, professional email address. So related to my agency, I would say, you know, if you hear something on this on this podcast and you're a young marketer, especially, or if you're struggling with something specifically, you know, I'm happy to give you some pro bono tips. So you can email me, connect me to LinkedIn. We can talk about like what's breaking, what's giving you headaches. And I might be able to give you some, um, some good, uh, some good tips on, uh, on how to proceed. So find me on LinkedIn, shoot me an email, always happy to, to serve as a resource for fellow marketers and entrepreneurs and um, uh, happy to, to do what I can to get your funnel in order and get you some big results. And again, a lot of times I do that pro bono. So happy to help out in a casual manner as well as in a paid capacity. Okay, guys, you can find email, website in the description below, uh, LinkedIn profile, uh, follow, uh, because you can get a lot more value. You can see uh, a lot of valuable insights on this podcast. It's a, uh, Thanks again for your time. You know, I love all your insights. I'm going to implement some of them. And guys, love you and see you. Thanks for listening to this entire podcast. Please rank your experience in Apple, Spotify, Google, or any other platforms that you may use. Also, please share your ranking mark on chat at seotools.tv to get a special gift. We'll see you soon on other valuable audio podcasts.